This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. From MPB Think Radio, this is In Legal Terms, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Java Chapman here with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And today's show is all about elections. Your rules, your rights are determined and protected and enforced by elected officials. And the Mississippi primary is coming up August 6th. That's three weeks away from today. Are you ready? Are you ready to vote? If you have any questions about the upcoming primaries or the general election in November, give us a call. one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 You can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. From MPB Think Radio, this is In Legal Terms, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Java Chapman filling in for Liz Gill this morning, as always, joined by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And today we're talking about one of my favorite subjects, because I think everyone should exercise their right to vote anytime you're called to do so. We're talking about elections. The Mississippi primary is coming up August 6th. That's three weeks away from today. And we want to make sure you are ready to vote. So we welcome in our friends from the Secretary of State's office, uh, Attorney Kimberly Turner, Assistant Secretary of State, Head of Elections Division. And we're going to be talking about elections and looking for your questions. So give us a call. One eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or send us an email legal terms at mpbonline.org. It's not a um, everyday pleasure I get to have, but today I'm on with Professor Gershon. Good morning, sir. How are you today? Doing great, Java. Great to have you on. And uh, I'm in uh, studio here with my daughter Michelle and my son Ben, who. Uh, are visiting, and uh, they both understand the importance of elections, and they agree with you that we, we should exercise our right to vote. But my 18-year-old Eve is, is going to vote in her first election in three weeks, and we're excited about that. Oh, yeah, it's such a special time. I can remember um, when I was in high school, they came to uh, 1400 Murrah Drive. <laughs> I got to rep, rep the Mustangs and uh, registered us to vote. And, um, you know, I, I was really, really proud because I knew that um, that was one of the ways you could make a difference. You know, little old 18 year old Java uh, was ready to, you know, pull the handle and, and, and speak my piece in the ballot box. Exactly. And uh, today we welcome uh, Kimberly Turner from the Assistant Secretary, the Secretary of State's office, Assistant Secretary of State, Head of Elections Division. Good morning. How are you doing today? Good morning, Java. It's really great to be here. Thank you. And speaking about what you were talking about earlier about registering to vote when you were in high school, y'all remember that circuit clerk's offices actually go out to all the high schools before the registration deadlines to get our younger people interested in the process and register to vote so they can exercise their right to vote in the first election when they're 18 or will be 18 by the general. So um, we're really excited to try to tap into those younger voters by grabbing them in the high schools and continuing to try to interest them with topics and issues that they want to weigh in on. 
Yeah, because like a lot of things, I think it's almost uh, like a habit. Like I started off at 18, like, hey, go vote. And I know I may have missed one or two elections, <laughs> I, I, you know, small, maybe small elections. But no election is small because all offices that you vote for um, are important. And every vote counts. You know, living in, in Mississippi with the population, the number of registered voters we have, um, you'd be surprised how many races will literally come down to one vote. For one person that decides that they don't have time today or they're too busy, it is so important to the elected officials of our state to get out there and cast your ballot. Now, I think you already may have jumped on this, but tell us a little bit about about, um, what all you do at the um, Secretary of State's office. Well, it's uh, it's a it's a difficult job to try to explain in that the secretary of state's office actually does not run or conduct any elections in the state of Mississippi. Um, we're called a, a bottom up state, which means that all the authority is vested in our local ofes- officials like the county officials or city officials. But the secretary of state's office does play a vital role in the process by training. We train uh, circuit clerks in our state, the county election commissioners who are elected next year and every four years after that date. We train the party executive committees because in Mississippi, of course, parties, the Democrats, the Republicans, they're actually responsible for conducting our primary elections. So we're charged with all the training of these particular officials who will conduct your election and hire the poll managers and trickle on down and train those poll workers as well. Um, We maintain an online poll manager training platform for those poll workers, the people you see in your polling place on Election Day when you come in to cast your ballot. We answer a lot of questions for officials and for the public in general, and we also do some other things such as lobbying and and campaign finance. So we're a pretty diverse office with a lot of different responsibilities. So basically when it comes to elections, you guys are, I guess, the the resource. <laughs> well, Secretary Husman is designated as the chief election official for the state of Mississippi. And, you know, our office is the resource for the public, for our elected officials, for our candidates and for the federal government to make sure that we're that Mississippi is complying with federal election laws as well. Now, complying with those election laws, how do you guys, um, I guess, uh, monitor different elections? Well, uh, monitor may not be the right word, given the fact that we actually don't conduct and we don't have the authority to take any action. That authority lies with your attorney general's office and the district attorney's offices. But we do have the power of persuasion with our elected officials and with our election officials. So if we receive a complaint, we certainly reach out to the clerks or the election commissioners or the parties and try to get a problem corrected to troubleshoot issues um, We also send out observers. So these are people that are from our office who volunteer to spend their day in specific polling places. So this year we're looking to send maybe 15 people out on the 6th who will probably straddle two counties, meaning they'll go to polling places in two different counties and they'll watch, you know, like the name presumes they observe. (laughs) Right. They, They observe. So they will sit and they will watch and they will make sure that Nothing doesn't seem to violate Mississippi or federal law in connection with these elections. If they see anything like that, they'll report it back to our office and we'll we'll take it from there and try to follow up. Now, Professor Gershon, on the campus of um, um, Ole Miss, is is Election Day uh, kind of a, a busy day up there? You know, it can be, Java. August 6th probably won't be because we we'll, won't be in session. You know, that's you know, the university is pretty quiet during the summer. Uh, November tends to be a little more active. 
Yeah, but it's important for people to vote in the primaries as well. And one question that we're, we'll get to probably in the second segment will be, you know, what about all these students and, you know, uh, can they vote in Mississippi even though they're from outside uh, Mississippi or can they still vote in their home states even though they're here? Uh, those are, you know, some of the things we want to explore today. And now, um, now, before we even get to the elections, what do you guys do at the Secretary of State's office, um, Ms. Turner, uh, with the candidates? How do they qualify to run for different offices? Sure. Uh, candidates, it depends on what particular election cycle we are in and, and how they qualify. But this year is a large election cycle with all statewide, state district, legislative and county and county district offices open. Um, it's fairly easy. If they're running in the primary election, they fill out a a statement of intent, which is basically just their personal information, and it states the office they're seeking, and they pay a qualifying fee with the actual party. So state, state district, and legislative candidates, they filed those with the state party. County candidates would file that with the county executive committees. Um, for independent candidates, they likewise fill out a statement of intent, and they have a petition that has to be signed by a certain number of individuals, depending on what office they're seeking, and they also have a qualifying fee. Um, some of those individuals file with us if they're seeking state, state district, or legislative office, they file with the Secretary of State. If they're seeking county or county district, they file with their circuit clerk's office, and the circuit clerk passes it on to their county election commissioners. Because I've always wondered, like, oh, when I do go to the ballot box, you may... I guess, say, from signs and um, television advertisements, it may seem like only a handful of people are running for a certain office. But when you go to the ballot box, there's like a long list. <laughs> and I was like, how do these people qualify? Well, I didn't even know they were running. <laughs> it, it is such a simple process for anybody that's interested in politics or wants to make a change in their community and has the time and the inclination. It's it's fairly easy to qualify to be a candidate in the state, state of Mississippi. They just need to be knowledgeable of what all is required of them once they throw their hat in the ring, like filing campaign finance reports, which is also a, a requirement of being a candidate in the state. Now, is that, I guess, one of the uh, disqualifiers if you if you um, go ahead with the process and didn't, uh, I guess, follow up? You can... Sort of. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a little bit complicated. It is now. There was a statutory change made in 2017 where if you fail to file your campaign finance reports for a statewide, state district, or legislative candidate, the State Board of Election Commissioners, which is the group that qualifies all these candidates before the general election, they can disqualify you. So the State Board is the Attorney General, the Secretary of State, and the Governor, and they rule on all candidate qualifications before the general election, including the people who win the primary election. The same can happen at the county level as they wind through the primary and they have to come through the county election commissioners. They can likewise be disqualified, but it can be cured. So that's something important to remember. If you're delinquent on your campaign, campaign finance reports, if you haven't remembered to file anything, you can run out there and go file all the ones that you've missed and, and you'll be good to go. Now, we, if you can't tell by now, we're talking about elections. Um, the state primary elections are coming up on August 6th. So um, coming up, we're going to be talking about who's eligible to vote, uh, first-time voters. And um, if you have any questions, give us a call, one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 Or send us an email, legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're in studio with attorney Kimberly uh, 
P. Turner, Assistant Secretary of State. And also on uh, Skype, we have Professor Richard Gershon from the University from the Mississippi um, University of Mississippi School of Law. We're going to come back after the break and talk about first time voters, early voters and absentee ballots. So stay tuned. to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. And not everyone has a chance to listen to the show live. You may be running some errands, hopping in and out of the car. But if you uh, miss any part of today's show, you can always listen back to the entire program. We've been given a lot of tidbits and a lot of information. So you may uh, want to listen back. It's at mpbonline.org slash in legal terms. Also, you can download the MPB public media app and um, stay up to date on all of our local shows even MPB TV. Yeah, you didn't know you can do that from the app. I'm Java Chapman sitting here is sitting in for Liz Gill with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. And August 6th is the state primary elections. And we are talking elections with Kimberly Turner from the Secretary of State's office. And uh, earlier in the show, Professor Gershon uh, mentioned about his daughter getting ready to um, vote in her first election um, and and from what I've been told, she's actually going to be, I guess, out of state when all of this happens. Is that right, Professor? It's, it's interesting, Java, because she'll be here August 6th and wants to vote in the primaries in Mississippi. And then when she goes to college in California, she's still interested in Mississippi. So she wants to uh, continue to vote as a Mississippi uh, resident. Uh, how does she go about doing that? Well, that's that's kind of easy for her. Um, so, of course, if she's here on August 6th, she can go vote in person in the circuit clerk's office in the county uh, of her residence. And then once she does go off to school in California, she'll be able to absentee vote. Uh, I'm not sure when she's leaving, so she needs to keep in mind that there, there probably will be a runoff election following the August 6th primary. So that will be August 27th if she's still in town. Of course, she needs to go, get out and go vote in that runoff as well. Um, if she's not, or I definitely know she won't be here for the general, she'll absentee vote. And what that requires is she can just pick up the phone and call again the circuit clerk who's located in the county of her voting residence and ask for an absentee application and ballot to be mailed to her. Since she is a student uh, outside the state of Mississippi, she's temporarily residing outside the state, which entitles her to receive an absentee ballot and application by mail. Whereas not everyone can get an absentee by mail, she will be able to do so. With her being in California, I do suggest that she call as soon as possible. Absentee voting starts 45 days before the date of every election. So she will need to call right at that 45-day mark and go ahead and head and get her name and her address in the queue at the circuit clerk's office to ensure she has enough time to receive her application and her ballot 
to get it voted. She'll need to find someone authorized to administer oaths, like a notary or a comparable elected official in the state of California who will acknowledge her signature on both the application and on the ballot envelope, and then get that returned back to her circuit clerk by U.S. mail all before 5 p.m. on the day before the general election. So she does have to watch those deadlines with her being so far away in, in California. So that's interesting. So the uh, the ballot has to be in the day before the general election and not on the day of. Correct. And in Mississippi, we have some some different deadlines. The majority of our absentee voters will actually vote their absentee ballots in the circuit clerk's office. Like I mentioned earlier, not everyone is entitled to receive an absentee by mail. That's limited to people who are temporarily residing, like your daughter, outside the county of her residence, people who are permanently or temporarily disabled, and then those who are 65 years of age or older can request by mail. But those who actually vote in the clerk's office, the deadline is 12 noon on the Saturday before the date of the Tuesday election. And then for people mailing their absentees back, it is Monday. That ballot has to be back into the circuit clerk's office. It's not a postmark deadline. We see postmark deadlines for registration, but not in absentee voting. The only group of individuals that can actually return an absentee on Election Day are those who are protected by the federal law for military and overseas voters. And they can return their absentee actually all the way up until 7 p.m. on Election Day. How do they vote? Uh, That's a great uh, point. I mean, I know we have a lot of people in active military and we appreciate their service. Uh, How do they uh, vote if they're overseas and especially if they're in combat? Oh, definitely. Military voters are have always been a priority of the Secretary of State's office. Um, so military and overseas voter and overseas voters is that category of voters who are Mississippi or just U.S. residents who retain their citizenship. Um, I'm sorry, they're not residents. They retain their U.S. citizenship, but they now reside in a foreign nation outside the territorial limits of the United States. So they're included in this group of military, military both stateside or overseas, serving overseas, uh, as long as they're deployed, they submit what's called a federal postcard application. Y'all just Google it. It will pop up anywhere. It's an online application, very simple to complete. And they can return that federal postcard application to their circuit clerk in the county of their Mississippi residence um, by fax, by email, or by regular mail. But, but of course, the majority are opting for um, email since it's so quick and, and easy to deliver. Mississippi is actually one of the only states that does not require a signature of your military overseas voter on that application. So they can easily just complete the app online, download it, save it to their desktop, and then email it as an attachment. So that alleviates the need for any type of printer or scanner, which, of course, we know if they're serving in active combat, they won't have access to that type of equipment. Um, They complete this application. It gives them a ballot for every election for the entire calendar year. So they just have to do this once once every calendar year, and they'll get a ballot automatically. And the ballot is sent to them with how, they, how they've designated they would like to receive it, by email, by fax. Um, we also utilize an online delivery service that allows for online marking of their absentee ballots, which, again, is very easy, and they won't need a printer or a scanner. They'll just mark it, save it, and send it back as an attachment. Um, all things designed to make e- voting very easy for those that are serving whether it be stateside or overseas, as well as our, as well as our overseas citizens. 
Um, they receive ballots actually together. Like I mentioned, we have the August 6th primary, mm-hmm. but we have a runoff in three weeks. And so military and overseas voters that fall in this federal category and state category, they receive both their first primary election ballot and then a potential runoff ballot all at the same time because the federal government requires they receive both at least 45 days prior to the election if we have a, a request already on file. Now, let me jump in here real quick. Um, you just you gave a lot <laughs> of information, Kimberly. Um, and um, I know you guys have a, a specific website that you guys uh, where all of this information that you just said is on there. Because I know with these dates and the Tuesday before the election at the county office. It's just a- <laughs> crazy. I know there, there's just too much to remember. And we don't expect anybody to remember all, all these dates and information. So I'm glad you asked about that. Of course, we have the Secretary of State's website, sos.ms.gov which does have an elections tab, and it has a lot of information, voter registration, candidate qualifying forms, candidate qualifications, publications, guides, and handbooks. But we also launched a few years, few years ago um, a, what I call Voter Platform, a website dedicated to our voters that contains all this information that is pertinent to registration and absentee voting, and it has the dates. And that website is y'all vote, Y-A-L-L-V-O-T-E, dot S-O-S dot M-S dot G-O-V. And it's very user-friendly. Um, we're very proud of, of how it turned out with regard to the topics and how they're categorized. We have a calendar of pertinent dates to make sure people know those absentee voting deadlines, those registration deadlines. And y'all, though we talk about registration, y'all remember if you've moved, it's really important to update your registration. You have to vote in the county in which you now live, and you have to vote in that county associated, the address associated in that county with. Um, your local offices and people who are running for office. So you can update your registration on Y'all Vote. And then lastly, but not least, the polling place locator. It's a great tool. You can click on the polling place locator. It will tell you where you vote. It will give you the Google map so you can have instructions or directions as to how to get to your polling place. It will also provide you a sample ballot specific to you, to you, uh, your county offices, your supervisors, um, your legislators, um, both for the Republican and the Democratic primary elections. So it's a really great tool for people that want to get a jump and know who who they may want to vote for and want to scout it out. And that website we will link uh, on the on the podcast uh, page for this show, so you can know um, where to go. Because I, I honestly, that polling place um, is very important because. I know um, a couple schools here in the Jackson area are used as polling places, but they actually closed a couple of them um, of, uh, like a year or two ago. So those polling places are getting ready to switch um, to, you know, different polling places. And you would hate to be discouraged when you show up and your polling place is now closed. <laughs> it is incredibly important to know where you vote. And, you know, some people that live in bigger cities like Jackson and Gulfport and up in DeSoto County, please remember where you vote in the city elections, you know, in 2017 and in 2013. Those polling places probably aren't the same as where you vote in your county elections, which is this cycle. So it is important to know where you vote. And as you mentioned, schools now with kids being in school during this particular election, we have 
have lost some polling places. And then also we want to think about those in like Sharkey County and Warren County with the flooding. I know we have two polling places, one in Sharkey and one in Warren County, that have had to temporarily relocate because of the flooding. And that is very important. Yeah, with natural disasters and things like that, your polling places, they they do not. Well, let me ask this question. Do you guys, um, well, you don't monitor the elections, but um, have there been suspended elections? Maybe, uh, Professor Richard, you know that, like, with the natural is that maybe? No, <laughs> there is no such thing as a suspended election. Elections march forward. We've never had an occasion, and I don't know of a provision in law that would give even the governor the ability to suspend or, or redo election or postpone it, but we do have emergency preparedness plans. We have okay. one at the state level. We spend a lot of time with our counties, the circuit clerks and commissioners this year, you know, telling them, please make sure you have a county plan contact numbers, because every year it seems as though not statewide, but at least I think maybe last year's primary election, some of our North Mississippi counties got popped with a tornado right before their primary election. And I was so proud of how those counties turned right around and had tree limbs up, power restored, lights on all by 7 a.m. So there are procedures in place at local levels and also at the state level. Professor, um, jump in there. Do you, do you know of any um, any anything on the books maybe for when you have to, um, you know, I guess with those emergency situations? Well, I know that uh, in Florida they've had to, uh, with, with hurricanes, uh, you know, make accommodations, certainly. I don't know that they totally suspended the election, but they, they did move them around. They moved the dates around so that people could vote, uh, which I know we have to go to break soon, but I have to ask him this. Uh, do you think we'll ever have online voting, which would <laughs> solve some of these problems? You know, as as much as I would like to enter into that realm, I, I think we have to couple that now um, with where we are. When we, you know, every time you turn on the news, you hear about cybersecurity threats, and they talk about threats to our elections when we're not online. So I, I just don't think the time is right. But you know, it's not my call to make that. That's the call for our Mississippi legislature to make. And as you know, we're we're electing all those. Uh, men and women this year, so <laughs> pay attention to what they might want. Well, I'll, I, I, I'll say, as a non-elected official, <laughs> if I were an elected official, we could push for that. Mississippi could be the first, and if we did it and did it right, that would be um, a, like a feather a feather in our hat. <laughs> Before we go to break, let's talk to um, Sue in Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. How are you doing today? Good morning. How are y'all? Oh, we okay. I've, I've, I've seen a lot of the candidates with pictures in the newspapers and and some people have heard their statements. And uh, I'd like to ask, why don't the candidates have their picture on the ballot? Because sometimes I, I might remember their face. You know, I like what they said. I can't remember their names exactly. I know it sounds stupid, but I think it'd be good to have a, in the newspaper. They always have their um, pictures on with their, their printed statements. Well, no, but Sue, I don't. I don't think that's uh, in your words stupid at all. Um, Kim, what do you uh, have a uh, maybe an answer for that? And I don't think it's a stupid question because, I, you know, as I get older, I, I lose the ability to remember names, but I still remember faces. So I, I think I have maybe a possible solution. There are some um, voter groups that are pretty active online that, that take our ballot and they put the pictures of the candidate on our ballot. And, Sue, you know, if you've scouted that out and you printed it off for your own use, you could carry that into the polling place with you to, to use in the polling place, and, and you would be able to look at those pictures and then mark our ballot. A picture on our ballot, again, one of those issues for the legislature maybe to talk about, but I see some practical problems with how our machines 
are coded, and then again with how our paper ballots are, are scanned. So I, I don't know if that would work. But in the short term, I really do think you could find something online and use for your own purposes as a sample ballot to vote for right now. So taking something into the ballot box is 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 okay. If it's for your own use, you mm-hmm. know, people that might want to get a jump start like Sue and have pictures and make notes about what they stand for, you can carry a sample ballot or something for your own use. You just can't start to disseminate it in the polling place because because then it will become uh, campaign material in essence. And actually, that's what we're going to talk about coming up in, uh, in, in segment three. You're, you're, good, you're good at this, Kimberly. Uh, <laughs> we're going to go ahead and take our next break for the hour. If you want to join the conversation, just like Sue from Beaumont, give us a call, 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one 877 672-7464. I'm Java Chapman filling in for Liz Gill on In Legal Terms. As always, we have Professor Richard Gershon on the line from Ole Miss. So join the conversation. And if you can't get through on the phone lines, send us an email, legalterms at mpbonline.org. When we come back, we're going to talk about campaigning at your polling place. Also, ID at the polls. You're listening to In Legal Terms here on MPB Think Radio. Listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert. I'm Java Chapman, and we'll hope you'll subscribe to the podcast. There are many different podcasting platforms. Make sure you choose the one that's comfortable for you, or you could just be really simple and download the MPB public media app and stay connected to everything Mississippi public broadcasting. But if not, you can choose your podcasting app that you like and just click subscribe and get in legal terms sent to your device as soon as it is available. This morning, we're talking about elections. We have Kimberly Turner with the Secretary of State's office here. She is the head of the elections division. And coming up on Tuesday, August 6th is our primary election for statewide state district, legislative county and county district offices. And as always, polling places are open from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And you need to make sure you have what, Kimberly, when you go to the polling place? Ah, you need your photo identification when you go vote. You need to have your photo identification. I'm just, I don't even know if this is on the sheet, but what if you show up and you don't have your photo ID? Well, if you don't have your photo ID, you're still entitled to vote. And what you will do is you will cast what's called an affidavit ballot. So in whatever county you're voting, an affidavit ballot is a paper ballot that you will mark. And together with a poll worker, you'll complete this affidavit ballot envelope, which just asks for your basic information, your name, your address. So you complete your paper ballot You put your paper ballot into this affidavit ballot envelope, and it gets dropped into the sealed ballot box. After that, you have five business days after the date of the election. So a Tuesday election, you have from one Tuesday to the next Tuesday, where you need to go to your circuit clerk's office and show them your photo ID 
or if you don't have a photo ID, you are certainly entitled to receive the Mississippi Voter ID card, which is Mississippi's free photo identification, which may be used for voting purposes only, that all our circuit clerk's offices will issue to you, either a temporary for right now, or you can wait for your card to get to you in about five to seven business days. But you do have to return to that circuit clerk's office. If you do, your affidavit ballot is counted. If you don't, your affidavit ballot is rejected. Now, what is a, um, I guess, accepted photo ID? Mississippi has got to be one of the most liberal states insofar as the number of categories of acceptable photo ID. We don't have a list. There are actually nine different categories of acceptable photo ID. Driver's licenses from any state, whether or not they're current or expired. Okay. Okay, so if it's expired, you want to look at your issue date. It has to be at least 10 years from your issue date, and you can still use that in the polling place. We take all firearms licenses, uh, tribal photo identification cards. We have at least nine counties in Mississippi with a significant tribal population. Um, You can use basically any type of photo ID that's issued by local government, state government, federal government. My Secretary of State badge would work. Okay. All our college kids, Professor Gershon with his kids there, they can use their student IDs if it's from a Mississippi college, university, junior, community college. Or if they're out of state, they can use if they're going to a state school. So Alabama state schools, you can use those photo IDs as well because it's a state issued photo ID. So there's there's a lot of different categories. Of course, of course, the Mississippi voter ID card I just mentioned, we have about. Six, seven thousand Mississippians that are using that Mississippi voter ID card because they have no other form of photo ID. And we want to make sure that everybody is, is able to go out and vote in the polling place. Now, can we um, how do could they go on the website and, and find out how to get that Mississippi voter ID? Yes, they, they definitely can. And we actually have a website that's dedicated to Mississippi voter ID. Um, I believe it is. I believe that they just Google. <laughs> I don't have it in oh, front of me. Well, but if well, they Google well. Mississippi Voter ID, or we can give you the link later if you'd like to post it. Um, but there is a Mississippi Voter ID website that talks about the categories of acceptable photo ID. What do I do if I don't have one? How do I get the Mississippi Voter ID card? Um, you know those type of, those type things. Everything you need to know. Yeah, we'll we'll make sure we um we put that on there ah, so we can get it. It is MS Voter ID. .ms.gov. And we will put a link on our uh, on our podcast page for that. We want to thank uh, Anna Moke, who's working very hard <laughs> in the she background. Was, was, yes, diligently typing. <laughs> now, Professor Gershon, um, when we talk when we talk about campaigning for um, for uh, elections, I can believe on the campus, like you say, it's pretty quiet now. But as you uh, get up to the um, November elections, the general elections and even the presidential um, elections in 2020, it's going to be a lot of uh, campaigning on college campuses. Um, now, how does that affect with the polling places? Well, that's a great question. I mean, the, the college campus not being a polling place and, and being very uh Concerned about First Amendment rights. I mean, we want our students to be involved in politics and to be active, you know, to be civil with each other. But uh, And we have a, a creed here at the University of Mississippi that we volunteer to, to follow. But uh, yeah, other than that, people can campaign and, and put up uh, tables and talk about candidates that they're in favor of. But the polling place is different, isn't it, Kim? It is quite different. We have um, very limited campaigning uh, prohibitions, because as you know, everyone's got a First Amendment right to free speech, and so every state has to do its best to 
take people's First Amendment rights and restrict them just to the bare minimum to accomplish the state's interests. And in this instance, Mississippi prohibits campaigning. So that's handing out cards or notices, bumper stickers, anything that would be construed as endorsing or supporting or opposing a candidate. But it's limited to only a candidate on the ballot. And you can't have any of that electioneering or campaigning within 150 feet of every entrance to your polling place. That's why you always see everybody campaigning like <laughs> on the on the corner of the building. <laughs> exactly. That's why you see all those signs, a hundred signs right and one little there, bitty corner. One little area. <laughs> but it's hundred and fifty feet from every entrance. And y'all remember, you know, our circuit clerks right now are absentee voting. So right now every circuit clerk's office in the state of Mississippi is a polling place. So if they're in the courthouse, hundred and fifty feet of every entrance to your county courthouse should be free or free of any type of campaign signs, bumper stickers on cars, those magnets you now see on those cars, or any type of cam- campaign material in those courthouses. So, um, But like I said, Mississippi, it's limited to candidates on the ballot. So for people that loved President Bush, I can still wear my George Bush hat on Election Day because he's not on our, our ballot anymore. Same thing with Obama or someone who may be running next year from the state of Mississippi if you want to you know, wear a Michael Guest T-shirt. Or what about political affiliations if you come in there with the big elephant on your hat or your donkey on your hat? <laughs> again, that, that's that's completely okay. We, we think that that's permissible free speech and there's no need to actually restrict that type of um, slogan or image on, on your apparel when you enter a polling place. It's limited to the likeness of a candidate, the name of a candidate that's on your ballot. Now, we have a, a caller on the line. Let's um, add Victor from Biloxi to the conversation. Uh, good morning, Victor. Good morning. Go ahead with your question or comment. My question, if I'm a registered Democrat, I want to vote Republican in this next election. Do you think special I have to do? Go ahead, Kim. Thanks. Uh, actually, uh, you're not a registered Democrat. Mississippi, we don't register by political party. You just register. Um, so you're just registered in our system. You don't pick Democrat, Republican, constitutional or libertarian. You get to choose in Mississippi what you want to vote every election cycle. So if you've been voting Democrat before and you want to vote Republican this time, then you just go on in and you find that Republican table and and you vote Republican. Remember, there's two separate elections in every polling place this August 6th, the Republican election and the Democratic election. But now once you pick that you're going to vote Republican on August 6th, you know, you, you stay Republican for the runoff. You can't go back and vote Democrat. So you get to choose each and every election cycle. But once you choose in a primary, you have to follow through in that runoff. So, yeah, we don't register here in the state as Democrat or Republican. But once you choose that lane, if you vote Democrat and there's a runoff. You have to stay Democrat. And that's the only lane you have to stay in. Uh, You know, a few years ago, Mississippi had a statute that was kind of ambiguous and vague that was repealed in 2017 that you basically had to support those candidates if you voted for them in the primary. Um, But you don't. (laughs) So you you just have to vote Democrat for the primary and then Democrat for the runoff. And then in the general election, you're free to vote for whoever you choose. This came up a few years ago. If if you don't vote in the uh, primary... But you st- you can still vote in the runoff, and you're not constrained by the party that you usually vote in. 
No, no, that's true. I'm glad you mentioned it. We we actually had talked about that earlier, that people that don't vote in the August 6th primary or, you know, who may not be registered in time for the August 6th primary, but may be registered in time to vote for the runoff, you can still vote in the runoff. And again, you pick whichever party, whatever candidate and whichever party you want to vote for. Now, um, we're getting ready to come up on our next break for the hour. Um, what are the, some of the uh, fines or penalties um, for campaign violations? And also, um, to piggyback on that, what if someone feels that maybe you, you have your um, non-endorsing um, paraphernalia on, but it's kind of it's emulating a, a, a message or something that's kind of um, you know discouraging of someone voting? Well, uh, unfortunately, there there are no fines or penalties. There's uh, there's oftentimes there's a lot of laws in the election code that just tell us what we should or should not do. But there's naturally no consequence. Um, we could dig around a little bit more in the election criminal code and um, and of course talk to our attorney general about it as well. But none really come to mind off the top of my head with regard to violating. People should be, you know, there's a poll worker in your polling place that's designated the bailiff, and that person is policing this type of apparel and paraphernalia within 150 feet. So I don't know if we need fines or penalties because these people are usually caught, moved the 150 feet back, asked to remove their hat, asked to remove a T-shirt. And with regard to, you know, different types of messaging that falls outside of campaigning, you know, again, we don't want to trample on anybody's First, First Amendment, Amendment rights. Yeah. You know, I think we had an issue maybe last year or two years ago where there was something offensive, but yet it didn't relate to campaigning, so they were allowed to vote. Um, the one thing I'll say is that people aren't lingering in your polling place, so if there is somebody offensive, you know, you come in, you vote, you leave, because the polling place is supposed to be clear of all people um, by 30 feet. So there's actually like a no loitering rule when okay. it comes to a polling place. So there's no lingering inside the polling place, so... If there's content of a T-shirt that offends you, just just hold your breath and they'll be out the door in just a moment. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and take our last break for the hour. We've been talking about elections ahead of the primary elections, August 6th. And um, if you have some time, visit mpbonline.org. Our MPB News at Issue is uh, airing a four-part series talking about all of the candidates who are running uh, coming up in the upcoming primary election. That's mpbonline.org. And they have a new program coming up this Friday. Day, 7.30 p.m. over on MPB TV. When we come back, we're going to wrap up in legal terms and talk about uh, your actual right to vote. What if you have uh, done some things in your past and can you still vote? Um, we're going to answer those questions when we come back. This is In Legal Terms here on MPB Think Radio. Listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is In Legal Terms here on the MPB Think Radio. I'm Java Chapman filling in for Liz Gill, um, who is out, I'm going to just say, having lots of fun um, <laughs> with uh, Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. And today we have been talking about elections with Assistant Secretary of State for Elections, uh, Kimberly Turner. And um, want to remind everybody that the primary elections are August 6th, which is three weeks away from today. And if you have any other 
other um, election-related questions, you can visit uh, y'allvote.ms.sos.gov. Uh-huh. Oh, I didn't think I would get that. <laughs> but we're going to... We gotta make sure we put the link on our um, on our website too. This it's a great resource too. Um, it's a great website, really uh, laid out well, and uh, gives you plenty of information that you need about elections. Now, Professor Gershon, um, um, in all of your um, legal brilliance, you gave us some um, talking points uh, to help out for today's show. And one of the um, ones that you know I kind of keyed in one on was how can I lose my right to vote in Mississippi? Why, why was that um, important to put on, put in today's show? Well, we've talked a, about uh, disenfranchisement a little bit in the in the state, and other states have started to restore the rights of people who lost their right to vote, uh, people who had committed felonies, certain kinds of felonies. Uh, and so it's a it's a big topic. It's a topic that's happening around the country, and I thought it would be one that would be nice to talk about today. Uh, now, Kimberly, um, does your uh, office kind of handle this sort of thing? We we don't handle this, but it's um, obviously something our circuit clerks see when they register voters. It's something that's printed on our registration applications, which we control the content of the registration application. It's also something we watch for um, way back when the federal government passed a law that you, you guys might remember because it's when we got rid of the punch card and lever machines and bought the new voting machines. It was called the Help America Vote Act. As part of that act, we have the statewide election management system where the state and all the counties register voters. And as part of that system, we have a, a, a filter that will basically talk to the administrative office of courts and flag voters who may have been convicted of a disenfranchising crime for further investigation before they're registered or if they're already registered, flag them for further investigation as to whether or not they still should be registered. Now, I know it's important to um, make that uh, uh, distinction where you said disenfranchising crime because not all crimes or not even all felonies um, will uh, make you ineligible to vote. Um, what, are, what are some of those uh, crimes? Um, there's 22 crimes in the state of Mississippi, and they have to be state court convictions. So if you were convicted in a federal court then that would not disenfranchise any individual if you were convicted in another state. So none of these crimes, if you've been convicted in any other state, would prevent you from voting in the state of Mississippi. But those 22 crimes include such crimes such as armed robbery, arson, um, robbery, rape, carjacking, murder, things of that nature. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I wanted to, you know, out of the big book of crimes, <laughs> there are only 22, 22. Uh, specific felons, fel- yes. felony charges that could get you disenfranchised. 22 specific state court convictions, um, no drug-related offenses are included on this list, and that's frequently a question we receive. People make mistakes when they're younger. They've gotten a, a drug felony conviction, and that's not a disenfranchising crime. Yeah, because it's just uh, almost an urban legend. As soon as you're convicted, oh, you can't vote anymore. So people don't even <laughs> they don't even try. Um, but if you have been uh, disenfranchised, is there a way to uh, get your rights restored? I know uh, in Florida they passed an amendment for, or they've been working they're working on it um, to get um, felons um, reinstated to vote. Well, not necessarily big picture, but smaller picture for individual voters who may have a conviction out there. Um, There are a couple things. You know, some crimes now are subject to expungement. 
So you can have it removed from your record. Um, You can also, of course, receive a, a pardon from the governor or there's a process, you know, reach out to your local legislator, the member of the House or the Senate, because the legislature can restore suffrage rights on individuals who have been convicted of a disenfranchising crimes. They can restore those rights. So there's still a few avenues for individuals who are dedicated to getting their voting rights back. Yeah, now, and I looked up, I saw in uh 2016, 2017, there were uh, some Mississippi legislators who um, introduced some bills that were um, killed in committee trying to get people reinstated with their um, with their right to vote. And it's I I, I think, you know, in, in the political process, you want all voices heard, you know, and I mean, there are some crimes even I think that you know, you should uh, go away for. But some sometimes you, you still uh, have a voice. To be heard. It's very important for everybody to have a voice to be heard. And and uh, I think, you know, there are a lot of states considering these issues right now. Now, as we um, as we get ready to wrap up today's show, we have, uh, I guess, a couple of housekeeping things. What is that website again? Y'all vote where you can go and uh, get all all of this information we've been talking about today. It is y'all vote. So that's Y-A-L-L-V-O-T-E dot S-O-S dot M-S dot G-O-V. Our basic Secretary of State website, sos.ms.gov. Look to your left-hand side and scroll down to Elections and Voting, and it will give you a, a plethora of information as well. We also have the Mississippi Voter ID uh, website, which is msvoterid.ms.gov. And then, of course, we have an elections hotline. You, you know, people can use it now, but we predominantly get a lot of phone calls on Election Day. Uh, that hotline number is 601 601- Five seven six two five five zero or one eight hundred eight two nine six seven eight six. Please, if you see something that is bothering you on election day, or if it seems like there's been a violation, or you perceive a violation, or, or something personally has happened, because we were just talking about that during the break. Yeah, off yeah. mic, I had a, a, a incident I, I, uh, where I was. I was virtually turned away from my traditional polling place, so it seemed really, really odd to me. But um, I, I played it cool and just came <laughs> and, and came back. And that person who was turning me away was, uh, I guess, went on break or something. <laughs> well, if, if something like that happens, like happened to Java, happens to you, please don't wait. Call our office on those hotlines because I, I get a lot of phone calls the day after the election where people are like, "Well, I was turned away, or I didn't get to vote. I can't do anything the day after the election." But we. Can probably do some good troubleshooting for you on election day. Now, before we get out of here, we were talking about if you go to a polling place, you may have forgot your voter ID. Somebody may be turning you around for whatever reason. There is the affidavit. An affidavit ballot. So definitely for voter ID, you know, you should uh, be entitled to cast an affidavit. And unlike you, you shouldn't have had to leave. They should have at least offered you an affidavit ballot, which is a sure shot way. Don't be scared of it. Go ahead and vote it. Yeah. So Um, no matter what, you can cast that affidavit ballot. (laughs) Same thing for somebody. If you show up, if you've moved and you forgot to update your address, you forgot to log on to our website at Y'all Vote and update your address. Uh, and you go to your polling place and they tell you you've moved, you got to go across town to a different polling place. Go. Go to that polling place, cast your affidavit ballot, it'll automatically update your address for you, and your vote will count. Whereas if you vote in the wrong polling place, they're not going to count your votes. So. Well, I will, I will say until we get online Saturday voting, um, <laughs> you should make sure that you always cast that, cast that ballot, no matter, no matter, no matter what. what. Ask for that affidavit ballot. Ask for that affidavit ballot. Can 
Tim, I want to thank you for being here on the program today. And um, well, you can welcome back anytime. Well, thank you so much. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'll, I'll be happy to come back anytime. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.